uh, starting a new series today called uh, Against All Odds. Uh, Easter's coming up. We're going to go wild for Easter. Uh, Kathy said, hey, can I go big? Uh, we said, yeah, go big. And when Kathy wants to go big, uh, y'all should come on Easter. And so uh, it's going to be a rad time. But so as I was thinking about it, I was like, man, for that original Jewish audience, like resurrection kind of foreign to us a little bit. Uh, but for that original Jewish audience, like they had read about, they had seen uh, the God of resurrection. Uh, and they, they had seen and read the promises of a, of a resurrection, not that would end all other resurrections, but that would give humanity the chance to experience the resurrection of life. And so uh, we're going to be taking the next few weeks just to look at different resurrections in the Bible uh, and get us ready uh, for Easter uh, to celebrate what we get to celebrate every day as Christians, uh, resurrection. Uh, and so before we start this sermon, but also before we start this series, would you guys pray with me? God, I, um, unimaginable, Father, um, what you have done over the last six years. Um, Father, there is uh, no one less worthy to stand on this stage and to preach your word um, than this man. And so, Father, um, you have me, you have us truly in your hands. Um, Father, you made a promise that the gates of hell would try, but they would not be able to. Um, because of the power of your name and the power of resurrection, as Pastor Ken said, that lives inside of all of us who would place our faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray for this series, Lord, that you remind me and us and our people, this people, your people, Father, of just how powerful a resurrected Savior is that flows inside of us. In your name, Jesus, amen. I, uh, it was uh, maybe not six years ago, but a handful of years ago uh, that I found myself in a, uh, in a really troubled position uh, as a New England sports fan. Uh, grew up in New England. Son is named after Tom Brady. My dog is named Bruin after the greatest hockey team. Uh, like, it's in my DNA, y'all. Uh, and so when Derek Jeter played his last series ever, the captain, uh, at, uh, at Fenway Park, uh, and... It, the game was tied, I think it was, and uh, he just so happens to be the guy in the on-deck circle with the chance to win the game against my team. Uh, and I watched this take place, and I watched Derek Jeter, I think it was a double that he hit in his last at-bat, hit a double that would be the game-winning hit for the New York Yankees. And as he rounded first, I caught myself cheering for Derek, like you have dogs named Jeter. Uh, like I caught myself cheering for Derek Jeter and felt so dirty uh, in uh, the moment. Uh, but man, like what a clutch hitter, y'all. Like if you're a Yankee fan, wasn't he pretty clutch? Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, so I have the facts to prove, uh, not necessarily Derek Jeter, but clutch. Who, who has the most home runs when you needed a home run to win the game? Who has the most home runs all time? Those, that guy that you want at the at bat for that moment. Number one, Jim Tomey. 
Any, any Philly fans in the room? Uh, Jim Tomey has 13 game-winning home runs, leads the league historically for those walk-off home runs. Tied for second, we got names like uh, Mickey Mantle, Pujols, uh, we got Jimmy Fox, uh, the trader, Babe Ruth, uh, number tied for eighth. We got the hometown, not hometown, my hometown hero, not even hometown, that's the wrong word, but uh, David Ortiz, uh, tied there, yeah, okay, you're the one fan with me, uh, Ryan Zimmerman, tied uh, for 10th all time, we got names like Barry Bonds, Adam Dunn, J uh, Jason Giambi, Reggie Jackson, Reggie Jackson, y'all remember what his nickname was? Reggie Jackson, Mr. October. I mean, how, I mean, you, if you get the nickname Mr. October, doesn't that just make you go down in the history books as like the clutch person of all people in the life of anything that, like, you're Mr. October. But here's another fun fact that the statistics would show. You know who leagues the league all time, all time in strikeouts? Uh, with 2,597 strikeouts? Reggie Jackson. So what is he? Is he clutch? Or is he a choke artist? I don't know. But he's on a list that says he's pretty clutch. And so that is, that is the, the contundrum, isn't it? When it comes to this, this, this clutch type of thinking. I don't know if it's theologically accurate to call God clutch. But from our human perspective, isn't God pretty clutch? And we think that way until we don't. Until something happens in life where we're like, God, I've known you to be clutch, but why weren't you clutch in this moment? And kind of that's the trap of having our human thinking enter into this space. We'll believe God can until he doesn't. We'll believe God can, and he'll ask us to live in a place of faith and belief but, but when he doesn't show up in the moment to our perspective and what he's trying to do in the moment, we then go to a place of starting to doubt and lack belief. Why do we doubt God? Why do we start to doubt God, that first feeling of letdown? Why isn't belief our default emotion? Why don't we sometimes, why can't we see before God the humanity, the history of how God has moved through the generations? Why can't we see that our God sometimes has a strikeout that leads to a setup? And so in those moments of hardship, struggle, we need to let belief scream as doubt starts to whisper. Has God provided for you? Has God moved in the past? And why wouldn't that be relevant right now? It's those moments where, hey, my dad maybe struggled with drugs and alcohol in my past. And I saw God move in a miraculous way and what, what God did in my past with my own father. But now in the present, I'm married and my husband has a, and he, he and I, we have a little bit of a tiff. And I think, oh man, life is over. But what did God do in the past that says that what's before me, God can handle it's those moments where, man, we didn't know how we were going to pay the bills, but all of a sudden, we got that escrow check for like $2,000, y'all, and we were able to pay our bills, and God just showed up at just the right time. But now my electric bill is making me doubt the goodness of God. 
And so we're going to look at resurrection. We're going to look at God showing up at just the right moment. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to jump into the middle of the chapter. So let me set up what is going on. You have the Jewish people clinging to and running after false gods. You have uh, Elijah, who is a prophet, a spokesman, someone who hears from God and speaks to the people. And he and the king, they aren't always on good terms. In this moment, we're going to walk into a place where there's a drought And this is a land that's now being overtaken by pagan gods, two of, in particular, Baal, the storm god, and Mot, the god of death. And so in this moment of a a drought, there's this battle between, and it's really no battle because they're fake gods, they don't even exist, but this battle of, oh, there's a drought. Hey, let let me see if the storm god can help you in a drought. And in this text that we're going to be looking at today, right, what precedes it is Elijah uh, going to a brook and then heading to Zarephath and finding this woman who is in the midst of a drought in a dire situation. She is a widow with a son. And in what she does not have, in her lack of resources from a drought, she shows kindness to Elijah and provides for Elijah. And so in turn... God, through Elijah, does something miraculous for this woman, providing for her over and over and over again. And so as we read our text, there's this battle of, oh God, we've seen you show up to prevent death, but God, will you show up when death is in place? Are you more powerful than Baal? Are you more powerful than Mott? God, you provided in the past. God, will you keep providing. And so we enter into 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17, and it says this, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. You know, the author did not say death, because the author sees what is about to come. And and she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? Well, there's some truth there, and there's some lies there, isn't there? You have come to bring, uh, to bring my sin to remembrance and, remembrance and cause this death, the death of my son. Elijah just met her personal needs through the power of God with oil and flour not emptying. And now this lady has an ill son who dies, cause of death not known. But the author doesn't say dead. The author just says, hey, breath has left him because, again, the author sees something. But he's dead. He's stillless. He's breath. If you or I were in that moment, we're fighting through drought, even though God has provided, wouldn't we join with this woman in saying, God, enough already. She's going through grief, and in her emotions of the moment, she starts to project her emotions onto Elijah and to blame Elijah. God, you, you must have brought this man before. Like, God, you're doing some bad thing. I'm putting fault on the man of God. And don't we do this when we're, when we're overtaken by emotions, when we're standing on emotions? Have you been there where you've been the re- on the receiving end of somebody's emotional outburst that you know is not deserved, but you're just the one in close proximity? Or have you been that person? Where man, like five minutes later, you're like, oh my gosh, I just took it out of my kids, or I just took it out of my spouse, or my coworker, or this, and I was being all sorts of emotional. This woman in the midst of having her son die, which we have to understand is, is a dire situation, is, a, is an emotional situation. She speaks some truth, she speaks some lies, 
And she's all sorts of emotionals. And that is the way of emotions when they're left unchecked. When we stand on emotions and not truth, they take us all sorts of places. Monday, and you guys, nothing should happen on Mondays for me. Otherwise, it ends up in the sermon. So on Monday, uh, <laughs> Ava had two jobs and, and she went out to work and she came back Monday afternoon, literally as I'm typing this. Uh, and uh, she like got in, had a good morning, uh, checking through her stuff. And all of a sudden, she's like now tearing up the house. And I'm like, what is going on? Uh, and then she's like, I, I lost my tablet, which is a big part of what she does on the field and in the job for it. She's a real estate appraiser. And then she's like, I left it on top of the car. And we're like, oh, boogers. Um, and so I was like, well, let's just go find it, whatever. And so she, she left. Uh, and a few minutes later into the trip, I got this, uh, this text message. I'm more upset for, with myself for being a freaking idiot. And, uh, and I was like, well, uh, I had a good husband moment because, uh, you know, I'm a good husband where I was like, idiot? Uh, I think that's a little bit harsh. You're busy. You do a lot. Cups of coffee, fly off cars, sunglasses are get left behind. That doesn't make you an idiot. That just makes you human. But have you been there feeling away in the emotions of a moment? Have you been there feeling like I've let people down? Have you been there where in that moment, Ava knows she was just letting emotions uh, impact how she sees herself, emotions impact the moment. And, and thankfully, she didn't go anyplace like crazy. She wasn't like driving out of control. There wasn't like any, but, but that's a simple illustration, right, of how emotions can get us. And so what I want to remember here in this moment is that emotions are good. Emotion, God made us with emotions. Our Christmas series is going to be called Emo Christmas. We're going to look at different uh, passages about emotions because Christmas brings up emotions and whatnot. And so emotions are good. But emotions are not what we stand on. When we stand on emotions, we go to a place of giving in to lies. When we stand on truth and allow ourselves to have emotions in the midst of truth, that fuels passion. That fuels worship. And so you and I need to remember in this moment to pause, chill for a second, and remember truth that will speak into whatever the moment is for each of us. So here's how the passage goes on. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took, her from her, took him from her arms, carried him up to the upper room chamber where he lodged, and he laid on him on his own, on his own bed. Super weird. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, and he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? And then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, a prayer, uh, let this child's life come into him again. Both go to a place of saying some things that are maybe not theologically true. Both go to a place of attributing the event to God. But there's, there's a major difference in how the woman sees the end and how Elijah sees the end. The woman is, is speaking blame upon God, but God, but Elijah is remembering and going to God, knowing that God is capable of doing something in this moment. And so Elijah takes the boy upstairs and, and where, yeah, he lays on him and like does that weird thing. And I don't really understand the culture per se back then. Uh, if, if I have to pray over your sick kid, I ain't doing that. Uh, that's weird. And so all we can do is assume, because the text doesn't clearly say, why does Elijah do that? But So does Elijah do that to, to say, hey, this child isn't really dead. I know how this is going to play out. And so I'm going to allow myself to experience a religious uncleanliness to say that is not what is this moment. 
What was maybe common in that day was, was to posture yourself so that you could identify with the challenges of the thing or person in which you were praying for, that he could just be trying to, to live in the moment and, and, and relate to the moment. The point is we simply do not know. We were not in that culture. But what we do know is that Elijah is going ultimately to God in prayer. God, you've rescued people from the jaws a potential death, now will you show up when death has swallowed somebody up? And so he goes directly to God. Elijah is a case study of probably anxiety and depression, and, but here's what he's also a case study of, going to God over and over in prayer. You can have a dynamic prayer life because you and I have a dynamic and living God in our midst. Brady is, I've told you guys this before, my middle son, he's, he's emotional. And I don't always know how to handle emotions when they're coming my way. I know how to give emotion. Uh, I don't know how to handle emotion. Uh, and so uh, this last Saturday, Brady, I, he probably like ran, ran out of milk or something. And, that, and the world was ending. Uh, and so uh, Brady's in this emotional moment. And he's about to go and play a flag football game. And if Brady goes and is all in an emotional space, and uh, then he's going to go and play football and he's going to do stupid crap. And so I was like, nope, this, we're not going to do this. So I've been reading this book, uh, Pray Like Monks, uh, Live Like Fools, and it's a book on prayer. It's really, really good. And I was, I've been trying to practice solitude in my own right. I was like, hey, Brady, come, come. We went to the living room, and I was like, I put on my timer, my phone timer, and I put it for five minutes. I was like, you and I are going to sit in silence for five minutes. We're just going to chill out for a sec. And, uh, and then I'm just going to simply pray a prayer of adoration, asking God and praying to God that, you know, praising him for the character of God. And we're just gonna we're gonna move on from this moment. And Brady, to his credit, did it. He didn't fight me on it. He didn't like you know talk during the five minutes of silence. He did it. Uh, and then we prayed. And then at the end, I asked him some questions, and he was like, "Yeah, like he, he said things about God that he wasn't remembering before it, but in the silence, in in that moment, he was able to remember truth. And then he went on and literally had the best flag football game that he's ever had. So notice the lesson here in our text that. Man, it doesn't always mean, you and I, it doesn't mean that God will always, uh, he's not our genie, but the lesson here is that we should always pause in prayer. The lesson here is that we should trust the God who can. Like those three boys back in the day with, uh, with the king, hey, I don't presume God will save me from the fiery furnace, but I know he can, and I know I'm going to continue being obedient that you and I can have fears, we can have anxieties, we can have concerns, we live in a broken world, but we need, in desperation, we need to bring our prayers to God, which also means as we're being honest with God, give yourself a little credit that sometimes you're gonna be praying prayers that aren't theologically accurate, but they're gonna be honest to what you're feeling in the moment. But here's, the mo here's what we need to remind ourselves, we need to pause. And in prayer, let God inform us instead of only going to prayer to inform God. And here's... A very powerful, short little verse. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Like, Elijah has said some things that really were like, kind of like, Elijah, what, what are you, you're blaming God too? But God listened in that moment. What a powerful statement that you and I can pray. What was your car ride like to church? <laughs> What was that text message you sent yesterday? Well, what, what did you do with your boyfriend or girlfriend last night? 
That doesn't excuse any of that, but in the same moment, you and I can all understand that we are a broken people, and God hears our prayers. He listens, and then he saves this person. It was God, the God of resurrection, that gave this young boy life. It was not Baal, the storm god, or Mot, the god of death. It was the one true living God. God sees you, hears us. He intimately knows who we are. I'm doing that year of discipleship with Landon uh, where he's reading a book a month. And uh, one of his like second book, I think it was, was Befriend by Scott Sauls. And so I was like, I'm going to shoot a shot, you know, shot in the dark, if you will. On Instagram, I reached out to Scott Sauls and said, hey, how about a signed copy of your book? My son's going to read it. And, uh, and this was the response back. Sure, happy to. Just let me know his name and mailing address. And like Scott Sauls has a following. Scott Sauls, a busy pastor of a big church, I think in Nashville. And he probably gets messages like this all the time on Instagram. And yet he read it and he responded. And Landon got this book and he was like, man, that's super cool. I was like, no, like super cool, like times a thousand. Uh, and uh, this is incredible. And like, you're going to write him a personal thank you note. And uh, and, and just, just the fact that there was a response like moved me. And I was like, man, I feel seen in this. Isn't that kind of part of who we are and what we do? Because Apple makes it part of who we are and what we do, right? Like we have this other picture read at 701. That was a text message I got this past week. Don't we love that? And then don't we hate that? <laughs> we love that. We're like, oh, they read it. They saw it. And then what do we expect? the three little dots that says they're doing something. And if we don't see those dots, or if we see those dots, and then those dots go away. <laughs> you're ready to go and punt children. Like, you're like ready to just like, what is going on? Respond to me now. We serve a God who does not put us on do not disturb. In our brokenness, we do that to him. But we serve a living Savior who does not put us on do not disturb. And so keep praying. Pray your faithful prayers. Don't stop requesting upon God, but in your prayers, pray with the attitude of your will be done. And Elijah took the child and brought him uh, down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. I'm sure it was like this like boss walk, like, yeah, like, you know. Uh, and so, and, and Elijah said, see, I'm sure with a little bit of attitude, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. She didn't know that previously, but she knows it right here in this moment because she's also experienced it in the moment. And the word of the Lord uh, in your mouth is truth. The woman knew that before her, before the situation, but he, she let herself forget. Emotionally, she became forgetful. Emotionally, she, she clung to emotions versus actual truth. And now God has reminded her through something miraculously, and in the end, she gets back to this place of truth, believing in the living, risen Savior, her God, the God of, uh, has already proven himself in the midst of a drought. And so our big thought for this experience is, is simply this. God's proven to be enough for today. I don't know what you've walked in here with. I don't know what you're going to experience this afternoon, tonight, while you sleep. 
But here's what I do know, that no matter what, God has proven to be enough. So when we sing the songs that we sing on the front end of a worship experience like this, of like, God, you, you, like, you, you always have good for us, or, or, or the battle belongs to you, or things of that nature, when we sing those songs, the question has to lead to, will we believe it in the moment? Or will we let circumstances dictate our view of God? We need to live like those three boys that said, I'm not going to presume the will of God, but I'm going to be obedient. We need to live like Esther who said, if I die, I die, but would you fast for me? We need to live like Paul that says, hey, hey, if I keep on living, great, more ministry, but if I die, I get Jesus no matter what. Guess what? Because I serve the God of resurrection, guess what? No matter what, I am a winner. Let me, let me, let me show you just one last thing about how this, this, this need to kind of pause. It happens in Acts uh, chapter uh, 16 where it says this, Paul is, uh, is in jail, uh, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are here. Paul is in jail and, and, the, and the jail is shaken and, and he's, he's able to be set free. The doors are open and so the guard that was there was like, I am surely going to die. And he drew his sword to kill himself. And Paul said, no, 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 no. And when he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord. So in this moment, this Gentile guard doesn't know truth. And in not knowing truth, the situation looks dire. He's like, I'm going to face my superiors and they're going to kill me. So I'll just beat them to the punch and I'll take my own life. An emotional response to thinking that prisoners had escaped. But what does Paul do? In that moment, he shouts, don't do it. And then reminds him of truth. There is a God who saves. Repent. Turn from your ways. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who at this moment has risen from the grave and given us the Holy Spirit. And so that night, there wasn't a suicide. That night, there was a baptism for the whole family because they said, I'm not going to give in to lies. I'm going to give in to truth. So what do you walk in here with? What would it look like just to pause for a second and think about your Jesus? Me talking still. Some of us, it's welcomed, and some of us are like, Jason, kind of get to the point. Get to the point. Say amen, let's go home. I want to rush to the next thing. Maybe that's why we don't see God. Maybe that's why God says, be still and know. Some Christian leaders have said this, Busy, busyness is an incredible coping mechanism for people because it enables people not to face their fears. Another says, well, I am busy with little things. I am not required to do greater things. My hurry is, is what often makes the yoke of life and ministry heavier than Jesus means it to be. Another said, God leads his people on, on roundabout ways, but he, do, but he does not move hastily. He's never in a hurry. He is not the one. He is not, it, it is one of his most irritating qualities, John Ortberg. And John Maxwell, famous dude, 
The greatest enemy of good is thinking, good thinking is busyness. And so I want to challenge you with something that my family and I did this past Sunday night, and it led to family worship and Ava crying, and it was just a really cool moment for my family. And I want to challenge you with this. The aisle hosts right now are passing out one of these cards. We prepare these sermons six months in advance, and so if you're nudging the person next to you saying, did, you, did he know I was coming today? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I don't know your situation, but what I do know is that all of us have room to pause. And so here's my challenge to you right now, is to first, at some point this week, set a, a timer on your phone for five minutes and to sit in silence. Give God your solitude. And then I had Googled this past Sunday afternoon, uh, songs of adoration. It's a pastor uh, Google search, if you will. Uh, and, this, uh, and a song that came up was The Goodness of God. And so here's a QR code to a, to a song that gives praise to God, the goodness of God. And so I'm just going to challenge you, five minutes of silence. Then to whether you audibly worship or just take the song in, but to but to worship to the song, uh, Goodness of God. And then lastly, to conclude your time with just a prayer of adoration. And on this card, there's a little bit about prayers of adoration. There's some psalms listed that are, are psalms of adoration. And just to thank God for who he is as you've taken time to dwell on who God is. Can you do that this week? Would you guys stand, please? I'm going to pray for us and then uh, our... Worship team from Bayside Chapel uh, is going to lead us in the song, Goodness of God. God, I thank you for being good. Lord, I thank you for being great. God, I thank you for being perfect. God, I thank you that in brokenness, when, when, the, when life would have us doubt the goodness of God, Lord, I am thankful that we get to know the goodness of God. Help us, Father, to leave this place living in your goodness, out of your goodness, and striving to have those things flow out of us. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Let's sing.